You are listening to the To and Out CFL Podcast, a proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. Grab some poutine and a double-double. It's time for the To and Out CFL Podcast. Oh, baby! Every week, Travis Kura. That's Grey Cup me, which is a different person. And Brazilian Tide. Hunters are people, too. Talk fantasy football, bring you the latest in CFL news, and sprinkle in a little bit of nonsense. Oh, nearly intercepted, it is! And it's over! Ready, set, hunt! And we are a part of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. I'm Travis Curra, a very special edition of the show this week as Paul McCallum is going to join us. He's one of the newest members of the Canadian Football Hall of Fame. He was inducted into the BC Lions Wall of Fame this season as well. First, this episode of Two and Out is brought to you by Connect First Credit Union. Do you ever feel like just a number? A digit, a denominator, a decimal, another cog in the big bank machine, waiting on hold, online, never on time, and always on your dime. Like your worth is only calculated by your net worth. In a world full of numbers, it's nice to know there's a place where you're not one. Connect First Credit Union. Bank on a brighter future. And let's get to our guest, who is a two-time CFL All-Star, a six-time CFL West All-Star. He won the CFL's Most Outstanding Special Teams Award in 2011. He was the Grey Cup's Most Valuable Canadian in 2006. He won two Grey Cups. He played in the XFL. He played in NFL Europe. It's quite the resume as we welcome Paul McCallum to Two and Out. And joining the show today is, I guess, one of the newest members of the Canadian Football Hall of Fame, Paul McCallum. Thanks for coming on the show, and congratulations, first of all. Oh, I appreciate that, and uh, sorry for being late this morning. <laughs> oh, <laughs> it's all good. I, I, I always like, especially when uh, uh, an interview like this, to go back in time a little bit. Was, was soccer your first sports love? It was, yeah. No, I uh, I started uh, playing soccer when I was four years old, and I uh, went to Europe when I was nineteen, and uh, that didn't turn out as a career. So I ended up uh, coming home after a few months and went down to local park to see some of my buddies, and their kicker quit, and I started kicking footballs. That was oh. it. Just yeah. as a side note, I, I got to ask, I mean, seeing the success of the Canadians men nas- men's national team getting ready for the World Cup, I mean, is that still something that you're following or pretty excited about? It, it is. It is. I mean, it's, uh, you know, I remember, um, you know, the was it the 86 World Cup when they were there. And um, I know some of the guys actually that played on that team and, and uh, so chatting with them. And it's, it's just a, it's a real buzz because uh, they've got some exciting players, um, you know, Alfonso Davies and uh, yeah. some of the rest of them. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's um, going to be exciting. I'm looking forward to it. Now, when you started playing for the Surrey Rams of the CJFL, was what was the adjustment like from – kicking a round ball to a, a crazy football that can go any direction. Yeah, it, it's um, it was a bit of a transition because it is a 
a completely different uh, way of kicking it. I mean, soccer ball, every time you kick it, it's in a different position at your feet and you're kicking with both feet. Uh, the football, it took a little to get used to. Um, I think the hardest transition for me was the fact that playing on a team, a soccer team, you're always out and you're doing something and you're moving and you're running. Uh, and then when you're kicking field goals, you basically, you stand there and everyone goes and does their thing and you just walk on, do it and walk off. So that to me was the biggest adjustment. I've always, uh, been fascinated with the mindset of, uh, of a kicker because you're right. Sometimes, I mean, if the team's doing really well and once in a while you just got to kick in a, an extra point or <laughs> if they're doing bad, you might be the only points that the team is getting at that moment. So to stay ready and to stay engaged in the game on the sideline, that must be just a challenging part of being a kicker. It, it um, No doubt. It, it was really hard uh, when I was just kicking field goals and not punting. Mm. Um, I really, really enjoyed punting as well because you were, you were, you're in the game all the time. And, uh, you know, later on my career, when I just was kicking field goals, um, you know, it, it took a little bit more to get used to of not actually, uh, going out on the field as much, but, uh, you know, it's just one of those things I still love the challenge. And so for me, that was what it was all about. And it wasn't, it wasn't too hard to stay focused. Uh, so I was, it was okay. Now, also with football, I mean, in soccer, everybody's kicking, <laughs> but, in, but in football, you're, you're that guy and you're almost expected to make the kicks and you stand out more when, when a field goal attempt isn't successful. How, and I, I almost compare it to a quarterback, like throwing an interception, you gotta have the, the short memory, uh, how would did that come easy having the short memory or are there ones that really yeah, kind of ate at you it 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 did and it didn't i mean um football is the ultimate team sport and i mean if if my center doesn't snap the ball perfectly mm. if the guy doesn't catch it nice and clean and put it down you know if if the ball the laces were the wrong way he has to spin it did he tilt it did he miss the tee uh, there's so many factors. Uh, did the guys, did they miss their blocks uh, up ahead? Um, so, I mean, the, you know, I go out and I have to do my job like everyone else does, but nobody's perfect. And, um, well, let's just put this, I'll name, I'll name a teammate, uh, unnamed. And, uh, <laughs> I missed a, I missed, I missed a field goal before halftime came into the locker room and he came up to me and he just started chewing me a new one. And I just let him finish. And then I said, are you done? He just looked at me. It was just your job. He turned to walk away. I said, hey, before you're done, I says, you know, just so you think about this. I said, if you had done your job, I wouldn't have had to have been on the field. I said, <laughs> so I said, we'll just leave it at that. And then he came back and we had to be separated. But, you know, some of the other guys are laughing at me because it was an offensive lineman. He, he was going to kill you. I says, nah, I don't care. I says, unless I'm dead, I said, I'll get him back. But <laughs> it was, it was, it was, it was one of those things where they're like, good for you because it's true. I mean, if, if, if they block properly, give the time quarterback, the receiver runs his route, the receiver catches the ball or the running back misses a block and the quarterback gets like, there's so many different factors that go on and, and uh, and, you know, unfortunately, there's one thing I wanted to say um, at my induction that uh, I, I didn't. But Don Matthews, I met him when I was playing in Las Vegas. I never played for him, but we were having a chat. 
and uh, Sean Fleming had missed a field goal towards the end of the season. He, you know, I heard that he was going to retire. So I asked Don, how's Sean doing? And he says, well, why? What's the matter? I said, well, he missed that field goal. I heard that he took it really hard. And he said to me, listen, he said, Sean didn't lose that game. And if Sean had made that field goal, he wouldn't have won the game. He said, there's more plays in a football game that come down to one play. Um, you know, uh, there's there's tons of ways of looking at things. I played in a game where I missed a field goal. You know, everyone talks about the missed a field goal. They don't talk about the fumble on the four yard line. Mm. They don't talk about the they don't talk about the missed sack, the blown coverage. Yeah, that that put them in field goal range. There's so many different factors, right? And so I've never ever been one for blaming teammates because nobody's perfect. So, um, but that stuck with me. Don Matthews said, "Kickers don't win games. They don't lose games." They just got to do their job because there's more than one player that's going to, you know, more than one situation that's going to make a difference. And that sort of stuck with me. Yeah. It's, a, it's almost like a, a goalie in hockey. Like they'll get all the blame or all the praise in, in certain games as well. And you, that your era, I mean, you played through a, I guess, a couple eras you did play you have quite a lengthy career but I, I think about there was a pretty strong fraternity of of kickers there was Paul Osbaldiston and you mentioned Sean Fleming and Noel Prefontaine what what was special about that era of CFL kickers I mean I think kicking is just such a big part of the game that I think maybe in the CFL, they, they stand out more than other football leagues, but it was a special time. Well, I think back then, um, you know, we had guys that were good at doing all three. Um, we yeah. weren't just, uh, we weren't just kickers. I mean, we were, you know, you know look at, I think Noel was, uh, I think he was a safety in, uh, or backup safety when he played and he San Diego <laughs> and he could hit, right? Um, you know, nowadays the kickers are more specialized and uh, just do one thing. And uh, I think it, it's, you know, it's a testament to the guys in the in the past that worked really, really hard to, to be able to do two things. Um, and the game was a little bit different back then, I think, too. I mean, they've changed a lot of the kicking rules, which I don't like. Um, you know, you're never going to see a, a, a kicker take off and run anymore uh, because of the, yeah. the legal man downfield type of thing. So, you know, it's um, yeah, it's unfortunate, but it, it's just a bit of a different game when it comes to the kickers and the kicking. Now, when you started with the BC Lions for a short while in 93, of course, one of the all-time greats, Louis Pasaglia, was there. Were there any lessons that you took from him at the beginning of your, your career the rest of the way? Yeah, I have to say Louis had probably one of the best work ethics I've ever seen. Um you know, in training camp, uh, I, I remember uh, he would say to me, let's go for a beer. Okay, we'll go for a beer. Uh, then the next morning, first thing, he was up there and he had run probably, you know, a mile before or a kilometer before I even got on the field. And uh, the first time I got there, and he's already done and he's sweating. And he just looked at me and goes, well, what are you doing? I go, what do you mean? He goes, you went out last night. He goes, all right, go sweat it out. I'm like, I'm like, oh my God. Okay. Uh, so, you know, and he was very, very focused, uh, very, very competitive uh, in practice. We would play games on, uh, you know, on angles of, of kicking and we'd do that for beers too. So 
you know, <laughs> needless to say, I wasn't making as much money, so I was pretty darn focused. So he wouldn't beat me, but he loved to compete. So same on the golf course too. Played, <laughs> we played a couple times. He likes to likes to compete on the golf course. What was uh, the toughest stadium to kick in? Are you kidding me? <laughs> I know I'm wearing the sweater. It, it, it had to be Taylor Field. The Taylor wasn't Field. It? it was by far the the wind uh, gust. You'd, you'd hit the ball and it would just die. Um, uh, Winnipeg, believe it or not, I, I didn't mind because it was very unusual. The wind would sort of come into the center of the field and then go towards the goalposts. So depending where you were, as long as you got the ball past a certain angle, then you're were, you were pretty, you're okay. Um, but even just the way it was, I don't know, angled with the wind, I guess. But um, Taylor Field, no, no question. Um you know, I think I said this when I first started, I'd get up in the morning. First thing I'd do is look out the window to see the trees bent and, uh, you know, ruin the rest of my day. <laughs> but, uh, you know, over time it got to the point where I knew I didn't have to look because I already knew it was blowing. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> now I, yeah. I know that, uh, it was your home stadium. So you were kind of, I mean, used to the wind blowing from all sorts of different directions and the power that it was blowing at. Uh, how did you adjust? And I, I, I remember the way you would adjust to punting with the wind and the low punts, like trying to, you know, I don't know, be under the wind. Like, how did you figure that out? Or, or where did you learn that? Well, um, I, I learned my first professional game punting because when I first started, I was just kicking. But when I first started to punt, I went to Ottawa. First game was against Ottawa, and I uh, punted the ball, and it was pretty darn windy, and it went up, and I don't know, it might have went 10 yards. And so pretty upset. Halftime, I come out, and Bob Cameron came out, and he's like, hey, kid, look, don't feel so bad. My first game, the ball went backwards. So he was, he gave me some um, pointers on how to punt into the wind. And then, you know, just in practice and playing around, I realized trying to kick the ball high, even with the wind at your back, it'll push the tail down and it's not really going to go anywhere. So that's where I kind of got to the thought of, you know, if I'm going to get anywhere here, I'm going to have to learn to directional punt it. Like I can kick it now or punt it. So it's kind of like a pass. So that's what I was doing. So I ended up spraying the ball all over the field and mm -hmm. I could make the returners run and then they'd have to change and put two returners back there. But it, it was more along the lines of let's just put it into the corners, get it on the ground um, because you're not going to sky the ball uh, even with the wind at your back. Now, 62-yard field goal, uh, the longest in CFL history. What do you remember about that kick? Uh, there's a bit of a story to that. I think it was three weeks before that. I think we were playing Calgary, and uh, it was a pretty windy day. And uh, I wanted to kick the field goal, and it would have been like 73 yards. And Danny's like, I ran up to him, and I said, I can hit this. And he said, Are you kidding me? And I, won't, <laughs> I won't repeat exactly what he told me. But anyway, I was pretty mad because I thought of Hail Mary. I thought I had a better chance than that. So anyway, we threw it up. Um, we lost the game. And But I didn't realize TSN had their cameras on my face. So as soon as the game's over, boom, they run up to me and say, what did you – you had an altercation with Danny. What is it? And I was like, well, I wanted to kick the field goal. And they're like, you could have made it? I go, well, I think so. Look how windy it is. So after the game, I guess they uh, talked to Danny in the press conference and they asked him, you know, 
how far can Paul kick the ball? And he says, I don't know. So, (laughs) so, so the next practice we had, it was the wind conditions and practice were pretty much identical to the game. He never said anything to me. He calls practice. And then before he lets the team go, he's like, Oh, but let's go into the stadium first. We're going to hit some field goals. So then he starts and I wasn't even ready. It wasn't warm. He said, all right, just go to the 50. So I started at 50 and it happened to be media day. And sure enough, I hit, I hit, I hit the 73 yard field goal. And uh, he's like, okay, all right. So then two games later, uh, we're playing Edmonton and I'm running out to punt. And my holder, Dylan Ching, he's, he's like, no, 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 go get your tee, go get your tee. And then I turned and he ran, he grabbed, he goes, don't worry. He ran, he got my tee. We go out and Jeremy's like, all right, here we go. So, um, yeah, I I was about, and this is an interesting thing. I was about um, a quarter of a yard from sixty three yards, and I thought, well, do I just back it up to sixty three, or do I just, you know, it might screw up the spin of the ball and the hold. So I was like, oh, I'll just leave it where it's at. So I hit it, and um, I said to the league, "Is that sixty three or sixty two? And they go, "No, you have to attain the yardage." I was like, "Okay, fine, sixty two. And then in two thousand and fifteen when I was playing for the Riders and we went back to play against BC, uh, Richie Leone kicked a 50, I don't know, 54 and a half yard field goal. And they gave him a, the, they gave him the record for inside BC place for 55. Mm. So I'm like going, wait a minute. So I called this the league statistician. And I said, look, if, if it's 55 and it's 55, I said, what, what's the rule? I said, because, you know, I hit mine and it was like, eight inches from 63. And he said, no, no. He said, then it shouldn't be 63 yards. And I was like, okay. He said, but I have to send him. He said, but I have to send him all the film and all the stuff to prove it. So I did that. So it's actually supposed to be changed to 63 yards. Okay. I know Steve, uh, Steve Daniel, right? And yes. he, yeah. uh, he, man, the amount of work he's put in for some of the historical stats, it's incredible. Yeah. So we'll have to update yeah. the Wikipedia and everything like that. Yeah. Well, with, 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 with the, I don't know if he's officially done it, but he said he was going to. But uh, the other stat that he changed is because of the wind, instead of punting into the wind, I had a league record. I think it was like eight, eight missed field goals, something like that, because instead of punting, we would line up in field goal formation on our 20 yard line. And then I would just drive the ball out of bounds or something like that. Okay. Um, so those got, those, those got uh, reversed to punts instead of field goals. And Steve did that for me and, and a bunch of other players as well. So yeah, that uh, ups the career percentage. Just uh, I think, I think it was bit. like 0. 0.7 or yeah. something like that, but yeah. So, I mean, you talked about football being the ultimate team sport, and a lot can happen in just a field goal. There's a lot of things that need to go right. So, was continuity with your long snapper and your holder important? Who was your favorite? Maybe that's not a fair question, but who are guys that you remember helping you out with that? Uh, that's a that's an interesting. A lot of good good ones. Um, Jarius Jackson. I had him for my record. Um, uh, consecutive field goals. Um, uh, Darren Flutie, he was my first holder. And yeah, it was, um, 
it was something. But it actually it starts, believe it or not, it starts with the center because if the center's snapping a nice tight spiral right and making it easier for the yeah. holder, like I said, it, it makes that much of a difference. And and I I'm, I always watched uh, the ball coming from the center's hands to make sure that it's going to be where it needs to be because if the ball snapped behind them, then it changed, it messes up your timing because you, you've got to get the ball off and anywhere between 1.25 and 1.3 seconds. Otherwise they can get blocked. Uh, yeah. So everything, when I leave to go um, makes a difference. Uh, there's so many different factors. It's too hard to explain verbally. It's better, easier to show, but <laughs> yeah. it, it makes a huge difference. One year, I think it's a sketch when I had, I think three centers and five holders. It was brutal. Right. So it's, it's not easy and it's not, it messes with your men- mentally. So, what was uh, your favorite part of being a CFL player? I, I remember, and this was towards the end of your career, and I don't know if you remember this. It was one of those state of the league addresses that they do at the Grey Cup. And there was a, a lady that stood up and she, her, her biggest complaint was access to the players. And she felt that she didn't have access anymore. And you came off of the back wall of the hotel ballroom and walked up that, yeah. and shook her hand, <laughs> which yeah. I think was such a cool moment uh, and something you probably only see in the CFL. But what was what was your favorite part of being a CFL player? You know, things things like that, having interactions with the fans. I um, my first year back in two thousand and six, when I was with the Lions, uh, my ritual was get to the stadium do my thing inside, come out, warm up, go back in, and then come out for the game. But right after my initial warm-up, I went was walking through at Old Taylor Field where the visitors would go through. And uh, there was a, I think, I don't know if it was a security guard or an usher, and he stopped me. And he had told me that his uh, son had, was having, I guess, you know, adolescent teenage issues and things like that. And they, they didn't know what was going on with them. As most parents, you just kind of, find out and figure it out Um, but but I had spoken to him uh, don't remember don't remember what I said but uh, the father told me and he started to well up he said whatever you said you changed his life in the sense of um, he had a bit more focus and a bit more determination of what he wanted to do which was he wanted to go be a kicker and play football and so you know he realized he had to go and do better in school to get the grades go to university and everything else and the, you know, he just said to me, thank you, whatever it is you said to my son, because, you know, he, he he's now in university and he's kicking and, you know, his, his life's on track and has a path. And I'm like going, thanks, dude. I'm trying to get ready for a game and you're just making me well up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so there's, 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 there's that. And then there's one other thing was in Saskatchewan, I think it was before a Labor Day game, um, Al Ford brought myself, Chris Sark, and another player in and said, look, uh, you know, I know tomorrow night is the night before the game, but there's this lady, uh, she's getting married uh, the night before the game and then they're coming to the game, but her her husband's wishes is, you know, or she wishes to have her husband's favorite players come to the wedding. So he's like, you don't have to, but I just thought I'd let you know. So I think it was myself myself and two other players. We waited at the back of the Italian uh, cultural center. And then the, the, the sister came and got us out the back when they were doing their dance. <clears throat> and uh, so they're doing their dance. And then we just kind of walk up from behind the, the stage and we're standing there and they're dancing. And all of a sudden he sees me. He didn't drop her, but he kind of like, 
thing comes running over and she's standing there. Everyone has started laughing and she just put her hands up here. Like, and uh, he's like, this is the best part of the day. And I'm like, Oh, shut up. You idiot. Like, <laughs> You're ruining it. <laughs> yeah. So, and then I think it was maybe a year, a year or two, I can't recall. And we would do the fan autograph session. And uh, they would come up, and I still remember them, and uh, come up, and they're like, they got their baby with them, and then the next year, they, they're carrying one along, and she's got another wow. one, and so it's kind of cool. Yeah, yeah, those are some some cool stories, and, and and that might be an only in Saskatchewan thing, where, uh, yeah. you know, the riders show up to a wedding, or part of the riders yeah. show up, and <laughs> the fans yeah. are just blown away. Um, this... Playing in BC, which is which is home for you. So when you got to win two Grey Cups there, that must have been been it's that 2006 Grey Cup. I mean, you, you put uh, some pivotal points on the board too. So that those must have been special games. Yeah, the 2006 game. Um, it's I think mentally that's when I kind of changed. Um, uh, with everything that happened in Saskatchewan and being told that my career is pretty much coming to an end and, you know, it's not, you're not as good anymore and all the rest of it. I think my focus, it just, it just doubled. And uh, I remember after winning the Grey Cup, um, I'd never experienced that in my whole career before that I was just mentally drained. I just, mm. I guess I just maintained such a focus and of wanting to, do the job right and everything else just my focus was very high and in that gray cup i remember i had just such a, a calm sense to me um i was i was focused i wasn't worried i had no 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 bad thoughts like i always say to kickers i mean if you go out there what are you thinking about oh i don't want to miss or this i said well you're gonna miss as soon as you think like that but that game i didn't i never i never had any of that and i just sort of from then kept going so i mean that was uh that was a special great cup to be able to kick that many field goals and to help them win. But the 2011 season was, was even um, more special, I guess, because of the way we started at 0 and 5. The kick that uh, broke my, my streak was returned for a touchdown. And then I kicked the 53 yarder to win to seal first place in the Western final and then to win at home. I mean, I always thought what it must feel like, like when Louis won it at home in 94 um, and other kickers, it, it's great to win the Grey Cup, but to win it at home is even more special. So, yeah, that's, uh, there's lots of, uh, lots of positive things and happy memories uh, from those Grey Cups. Yeah, I was going to ask you that. The, as your career went on, you, especially when it came to kicking field goals, got better. Like you, you had your better or best years as you seem to go on playing in BC place and may, maybe playing indoors helped being at home and having those games. But was it what happened in Saskatchewan? And you mentioned noticing that change in you around the 2006 game. Is, is that what factored into that? Um, I would say, uh, I'd say a little bit of that as well as, um, I had a gentleman call me who was doing a thesis uh, on it's called head trajectory and how to focus. And uh, I've talked to lots of athletes about it. Um, and it's basically 
when when you talk to an athlete and they they say, well, I was in the zone, and uh, mm-hmm. I would ask them, I said, well, do you know how to get into the zone, and do you know what it is that makes you feel like you're in the zone? And they're like, no, no clue. But I had this guy talk to me and explain it to me. Um, Cause like I said, he's writing it in his thesis and it was um, your, your vision. And, and what he said was from when you look at an object, what, what is the time it takes for you to look at it and for you to process it in your brain? Like how long would that take? And I, said, oh, I don't know. And he says, well, your eyes have to be centered in, and this is, this someone's going to say, this is a kooky uh, thing, but, I can prove it. Um, it slows things down. If your eyes are centered in your eye socket and you're not using any of your peripher- peripheral vision outside of five degrees. So whatever you're looking at, anything outside of uh, five degrees of your per- and using your peripheral, your brain has to process what you're looking at. Right. Right. So for me, it was basically keeping that whole thing about keeping your head down. And when you're looking at things, um, when receivers talk about they see the ball coming and they can see it spinning and they can see the dimples, you're not going to be able to do that looking over your shoulder. You're going to have to turn your head around and really look at the ball and concentrate. So for me, when I was um, kicking, it was the way that I was aligning my head to the snap, turning my head to watch it come down, turning, putting my head down to watch the ball so that my eyes were always centered and everything just slowed down. So every time I would do it that way, it was like I was getting in the zone and everything was just slowed down. So everything slowed down for me. So that's, that's a quick version of how I feel that I've got better as well. The mental game was probably the biggest part of kicking. Is yes. that fair? Yeah. hundred percent. I mean, I, I remember I was uh, in BC and they brought a guy in called Wayne Lamley and his legs were as big as my waist. He had such a strong <laughs> leg. I'm like, how are you going to compete with this? But it was a mental thing. So when he and I would compete, you know, he'd hit one, I'd hit one. He'd miss one, and then I'd hit one. Then he'd miss one, I'd hit one. Um, and that kind of weighs on you, right? Uh, so um, just having that mental toughness. Uh, and for me, it was competitiveness, uh, focus, and determination to win and to do my job to, to help the team win. Uh, that was a very big motivating factor for me. Now you uh, just got done being inducted into the hall of fame in Hamilton. Do you remember the day when you got the call? How did that go? Yeah, no, it went really well. I was actually working <laughs> in a, a star, a Starbucks and uh, Daryl Davis actually called yeah. me. Um, he was part of the committee. And when I was nominated, uh, he had asked the board, I guess, the nominated nomination committee, if he could be the one to call me. And they said, yes. And so anyway, I've got lots of friends in Saskatchewan and my phone rings and I look and it's a three Oh six number. And I'm like, okay, what's going on? So the <laughs> phone, it's, it's, it's Daryl. And I was just packing up and going out to my car. And uh, so he's telling me, you know, congratulations and everything like that. And then I, I sat down and my mom passed away in 2015 and, and uh, it, I don't know, wasn't even thinking about it. And then all of a sudden it dawned on me, it was her birthday. So wow. it was, it was really, it was cool that uh, I got the phone call on her birthday. I, this year I was able to talk to Ricky Ray, who also went into the hall of fame. And it seemed like that moment is a 
almost summing up an entire career leading up to that point, the people that have supported you along the way from your very beginning of playing sport to being in uh, a Canadian Football Hall of Fame that day in Hamilton, seeing your bust, which I think they did a pretty good job on, uh, that that must have been uh, honestly just mind blowing. It, it, it was. It's uh, it was interesting because I mean, playing against Ricky and uh, Chip Cox in Montreal, mm-hmm. um, you know, I'd never spoken to them, and so everything that I had experienced from the phone call till till meeting them. Uh, I even, I just said to them, I said my experience and I asked them and they're like exact same experience, which is when you're playing and it, you, you don't really get a chance to really enjoy it. And then from the day I got the phone call till meeting them, the amount of memories that come back, you're just like, I forgot about this. I forgot about that. I forgot about this. And both of them said the exact same thing. And Chip says to me, he said, he said, his mentality was he played the game. They won the game. He wanted to start working out to, to play the next game. He was just mm-hmm. so driven that way. And he said he, he never had a chance to do that, to, to sort of think back and appreciate what he had done. And uh, Ricky's the same, same way. You know, we're just competitive, 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 want to win, want to get better, and never actually had a chance to enjoy it. But for me, um, when I got cut in BC in 15 and then came to Saskatchewan, I remember thinking to myself, like, you know what, this is, this is it. So I did soak it in, um, a little bit. So, uh, it was, uh, I, I had some fun and was joking around. And one story, which was, was funny is, um, in Saskatchewan, they brought in a linebacker young, he was kind of like an honorary looking guy. He was kind of quiet, didn't say much. And I guess the guys wanted to play a joke on me or what, uh, this told him to go up and say, you know, you're the oldest player in the league. And I was I'm looking at him, and I go, yeah, I am. And he goes, what year were you born? And I told him, and he goes, I wasn't even born. He goes, you're older than my mom. And I look at him, I go, hey, hey, I'm single. Is your mom coming to town? <laughs> <laughs> and he just just joking, right? Yeah. And he's like, he goes, no, that's not funny. That's not funny. So. <laughs> just having fun and it's so good. So I, uh, yeah, so it was, it was, it was good. What is last question? The longest field. I know you said you kicked the, the 73 yarder on uh media day outside of a game. Was that the longest kick you ever made? Uh, I think 76. Yeah. 76. I mean, it was, it's, it's, it, it was windy. Don't get me right, wrong. Like right. really windy, but um, as far as long field goals go in Calgary, um, I forget who was there at the time. Um, but uh, I used to love warming up in Calgary and kicking long field goals. And uh, the the kicker that they had there, I mean, he was decently strong leg, but mine was a little bit stronger. And so you'd usually warm up on one side of the field and then you would back up. And then he, so he would be warm up one side, you'd be warm up on the other side. And uh, so what would happen is I would literally just go back to the 55 and then just go back to the 60. And then I just start, and then I just turn around and go the other direction, work my way in. And so I remember I had gotten to the other side of the field and then he jumped and he went to the other side and he hit one. And I jokingly said to him, I go, 
man, you didn't hit that very well. And he goes, what are you talking about? And so I had already gone from the other side. So I go, well, you need to do this. And then I kicked it basically from back on my side, like 65 yards over his, but the other way. Yeah. So, and, and in Calgary, it didn't have to be windy, just the thin air and the ball right. would go. So 60, 67 with no wind in Calgary wasn't, wasn't far off. Wow. I mean, yeah. you talk about Denver mile high and things like that. And, uh, little things that when you're, I mean, the, the, the margin of error is so small on a yeah. long field goal like that, that you notice things like the air in Calgary. So was, I mean, Vancouver's indoors. Did you notice a different in flight there too? Yeah. I mean, it's a lot more humid. Um, the worst for the humidity and change would be the sky dome. Mm. Um, we would be practicing. It would be, I don't know how hot outside and humid and the roof would be closed. And, uh, we were warming up and everything was perfectly fine. And I just kept saying like, don't open the roof, don't open the roof, don't open the roof. <laughs> and sure enough, they opened the roof and it would make about a difference of five to seven yards because it was oh. so humid. The ball just was so he- going through, through such heavy air. And uh, actually Mr. Braley, um, he, he was there. And I, I don't know if you know, Mr. Braley's uh, He's uh, unfortunately passed away, but mm-hmm. uh, I always had a pretty good relationship with him, which you could joke with him. And um, he has large manufacturing plants in, in Hamilton. And uh, so when they when they opened uh, opened up the roof, um, the ball wasn't going anywhere. He's standing there, and we were just sweating. <laughs> and I and I said, "Can't you do something about this? Can't you shut the roof? This is ridiculous." And then, I, and then I said to him, I go, I know you don't have your uh, your employees in your factories without air conditioning. And he looked at me. He goes, no air conditioning. Oh. <laughs> he goes, don't worry about it. Kick with the roof open. Kick with the roof open. Kick with the roof open. Oh, yeah. that's, that's great. And thank you so much for sharing the stories today. Congratulations again of being inducted into the Canadian Football Hall of Fame. It's been uh, been so nice to hear these great stories and I don't know, maybe we'll see you at a Grey Cup sometime soon. <laughs> I think I might be coming to this one. We'll see how that goes. Hey, awesome. <laughs> well, right. I'll see you in Regina. Thanks for taking the time to talk to me. Thanks. Thanks again to Paul McCallum for coming on the Two and Out CFL podcast. Congratulations again on being inducted into the Canadian Football Hall of Fame. This episode of Two and Out is brought to you by Alberta Blue Cross. And life as a business owner can be hectic to say the very least. And Alberta Blue Cross understands that. They offer flexible health, dental, life, and disability coverage for your employees. Even better, you can let your staff enroll and manage their coverage at any time and on any any device that makes life easier for them and for you. You've got this when it comes to group coverage for your small business and Alberta Blue Cross has got your back. To learn more and explore your options, head to ab.bluecross.ca. Thank episode of Two and Out. We'll be back on Thursday, getting you ready for week 17 of CFL action. You can rate, review, and subscribe to Two and Out on your favorite podcatcher. And make sure you subscribe, like, ring the bell, and leave a comment on YouTube as well. We'll talk to you on Thursday. Thanks for listening. 
Find more great shows like this at CF Pod Network on Twitter. 